Each morning, I roll out of bed, bleary-eyed, and I sink into exactly the same seat, and I whisper the words of Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing, the most fundamental, the most basic of things that I have asked of the Lord, this is what I seek. This is what I'm longing for, desiring more than anything else, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may experience and encounter and enjoy the intimate presence of Jesus, that I may live into an intimate relationship with him all of the days of my life the day that I'm about to step into and every single day that follows it, that I would behold the beauty of the Lord and that I would seek him in his temple, recognizing that my very body and this very earth is like a temple where the presence of Jesus can be known and felt and experienced. Each morning, I roll out of bed, bleary-eyed, I sink into exactly the same seat and I whisper my deepest desire that I would know the presence of Jesus, that I would be known by him and that I would know him and that whatever I'm about to face in that day, that I would know more than anything else one thing. I am in intimate relationship with him. Whether you articulate it like this or not, within each of us, not just followers of Jesus, but every single human being that has been born, our deepest desire A deep desire within us is to enjoy the intimate presence of Jesus. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in his presence. The question is, though, how on earth can we see this desire fulfilled? How can we experience that which we long for the most? How can we experience the closeness of relationship with Jesus all of the days of our lives? One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place, and as he finished, one of his disciples came up to him and asked him the most important question, Lord, how can we pray? Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Basics, and we're wanting over the course of the next four weeks to take a step back and simply ask the question, why? Why do we do what we do? We want to unpack why we engage in some of the key rhythms and habits and practices of following Jesus. And last week, Andy brilliantly kicked off our series um, exploring why we engage in the Bible. Why do we pick up the Bible? Why do we engage in the scriptures? Why do we do what we just did as we publicly spoke the words of the scriptures? If you weren't around last Sunday, can I really encourage you to check out the podcast? In the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking why we worship and also why we care about people. But this morning, I want to take just a few minutes of your time and explore why do we pray. And particularly if you're new to faith, if you're here and you don't really know why you're here, if you're exploring life with Jesus, this talk is especially for you. These are the foundational reasons of why we as Christians pray. But also, if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, If you've been praying for years, my hope this morning is that as I unpack the basics of why we pray, that actually you'll see your prayer life come alive once again. So, why do we pray? If you've got a Bible, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. It's page 60 in uh, the black Bibles that are sitting on your seat. 
Let me put Exodus 33 into context for us. God has led his people out of slavery in Egypt through Exodus, which we're going to be unpacking in a few months' time. And he is leading them in the direction of a promised land, a land flowing with milk and with honey, all that they had desired. And despite being led by God, despite building a tabernacle, despite manna falling from the sky and satisfying their every needs, the children of Israel were a pretty distractible bunch. One day Moses is up on a mountaintop praying with God, and as they're doing that, the people are down in the valley, and they've melted down all of their jewelry and all of their prized possessions to create an idol, an idol of a golden calf. And God is really angry at this. And so he wants to destroy them, says that in Exodus 32. But Moses prays so boldly that God changes his mind because of his unchanging love. God releases the people at that point to go and take up the promised land, that which which they longed for. But because of what they've done, God says they're going to part company at this point. He's just going to let them go for it, but he is going to stay exactly where he is. He's going to leave them to it. And so Moses goes into this tent of meeting, essentially an ancient prayer room to meet with God. And he's going to say something pretty bold. He's going to say that if God's presence is not going to go with the children of Israel, then they're also going to stay put and stay exactly where they are. Moses is wanting to communicate that even whenever it comes to the promises of God, they've got nothing on the presence of God. It's really easy to fall into a trap of thinking, particularly in the consumeristic age that we find ourselves in. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that life is all about what we get from God, his promises, his rewards, his gifts. But Moses shows us a true and better way. Life with God isn't about what we get from him. Life with God is all about us getting to be with him. His presence, his company, his friendship. That is what life with God is all about. And as Moses steps into this tent of meeting, a pillar of cloud where God's presence would remain at the entrance of the tent and they would begin to communicate. Now let me hit pause for a second. Our understanding of what God is like affects our understanding of why we pray. If Moses believed that God was trying to catch us out like some kind of headmaster, you would expect him to walk into the tent of meeting on his best behavior, proving how good he has been, how loyal he has been, and avoiding getting into trouble. Or if he believed that God was angry or vengeful, he would have entered in with his head bowed, fearful to step in. Or if he believed that God was some kind of like cosmic game show host, giving out gifts at random, he would have stepped into the tent with his fingers crossed, hoping his prayers would be answered, just like that family in Moira who won the lottery and we're all trying to work out whether we know them or not. Have you found that the past couple of weeks? That's just my family. Hey? Um, our perspective of what God is like affects why we pray. Moses entered into this tent very differently. And this is what I want to talk about today. Verse 11. This is why we pray. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Think about some of the people who are closest to you. Your spouse, your partner, your closest friends, your family members. Think about the conversations that you have with them. The time that you spend in their company. The talking, the listening, 
Think about the big conversations that you have. Think about the little conversations of, hey, how was your day? Think about the silences, the talking over one another. Think about finishing off each other's sentences. This is how Moses prayed. And so should we. Prayer at its most basic is all of the ways that we communicate and we commune with God. All of the ways that we speak with God and be with him. And we get to communicate with him like friends. And as we pray in that particular kind of way, we get to enjoy the presence of God and see our intimacy with him grow and grow and grow. What Moses experienced that day in that tent of meeting is available to us today by cultivating a life of prayer. Us being able to experience the closeness of Jesus' presence by knowing him and also being known by him. And for us to be able to walk and talk through our days like two old friends getting together. Our deepest desire, more than anything else, is to enjoy the company of God. To not just know him as an idea or as an abstract thing, but actually to know his personhood, his reality, and his nearness. And here's the thing. God is really eager to enjoy that depth of relationship with us too. A priest once had a dream that he had to go and pick up Jesus at the airport. Pretty strange dream. The priest is pretty nervous. How on earth was he going to recognize Jesus? What would Jesus say whenever they met? How would they react whenever they first encountered each other? Standing at the end of the long corridor, waiting for Jesus to arrive, the priest was nervously surveying all of the passengers as they walked past. But he couldn't shake this one question as he waited. Would Jesus' first glance at me reflect his disappointment in me? But what happened was the complete opposite of all that the priest was expecting. Suddenly, walking down the corridor was Jesus, smiling and beaming with delight, coming straight for him, walking towards the priest with eagerness. Everything about Jesus was wonderfully disarming. There was no awkward moment. There's never an awkward hug with Jesus. Everything about Jesus erased all of that. His eyes, his face, and his body embraced the priest without reservation and without judgment. The priest recounts, that even though they were in an embrace, he knew that Jesus was able to look exactly through him, to see all of his faults, his weaknesses, his feelings, his lack of substance, but none of it mattered to Jesus, and actually none of it mattered to the priest in that moment either. More than anything else, he knew that Jesus was eager to be with him, to be in his company, to be face to face like old friends. Our deepest desire One thing that we have asked of the Lord is to experience his company, is to know his presence. And the greatest news of all is that Jesus is eager for us to be in that kind of relationship with him. He's really keen to spend time in our company, to enjoy hanging out with us. And we get to meet together through prayer. As we pray, we get to speak with God face to face like old friends. We get to enjoy intimacy by being present with each other, by talking, by listening, by being silent together, by becoming more aware of each other's presence. This is the height of love, the height of affection, desiring and longing to be together, to spend time with each other no matter what is going on. Prayer is the point where our deepest desire 
and Christ's eagerness to be with us come together. Where we get to have an ongoing, intimate relationship with him, like old friends, staring at each other face to face. This is why we pray. Now, prayer is a practice. And like any healthy relationship, prayer requires us to show up with intentionality and to show up with commitment. You can't be flaky whenever it comes to your mates, right? And it's also exactly the same with prayer. You can't be flaky with it either. This intimate relationship requires commitment and intentionality. So here's the question that I want to unpack for the rest of our time together. How can we, as followers of Jesus, cultivate this practice of prayer? where we get to speak with Jesus face-to-face like friends. How can we actually do that? There's four things that I want to share with you that will help you to practice prayer and through that experience the presence of Jesus um, and to experience his closeness day by day. First thing I want to say is this. Pray what's inside of us. Some of us struggle to pray, really pray, and mostly because we sometimes feel unworthy to do so. Many of us have got... Um, into this wrong habit of thinking where we feel as if we need to get to a certain place, a certain headspace, a certain frame of mind to have a certain feeling, and then at that point we can pray. But up to that point, there's absolutely no chance that we can pray because we're simply not worthy to do so. Some of us find it difficult to pray with any sense of regularity because we don't tell God what is really going on in our lives. We don't communicate as friends. And instead, we find ourselves just telling God what we think he wants to hear from us. Or mostly because we just don't think that we're good enough to talk to him at all. Ronald Rollheiser, the priest who picked up Jesus at the airport, says this. We unconsciously nurse the idea that we can pray only whenever we're not distracted, not angry, not emotionally or sexually preoccupied. We think God is like a parent who wants to see us only on our best behavior. And so we go into God's presence only whenever we've got nothing to hide, whenever we're joy-filled and feel as if we can give proper attention to God in a reverent and in a loving way. When was that 100% the case for you? Because we don't understand what prayer is, we treat God as an authority figure or as a visiting dignitary, as someone to whom we don't tell the real truth. If I'm going to spend any time with M or with my best mate or those closest to me and I've got some stuff that is going on, my head is full, I've maybe made some unhealthy or unhelpful choices and those things are just rattling through my head and I'm just feeling pretty down about it. And then if that person asks me how you're doing and I'm saying, oh, life is amazing, life is incredible, I'm doing great, thank you very much. There's something not quite right with the relationship there. In doing so, I've lost sight of what this relationship is all about. In my glossing over reality, I'm not being authentic. And actually, I'm restricting that person, whether it's M or my best friend or whoever, from actually being their full selves. The closest relationships I have are full of commitment. And if I begin to gloss things over very quickly, very quickly, those people who are closest to me will firstly say, stop being an idiot. And then secondly, they will come towards me. They will help me. They'll be with me. And they will serve me in all that I'm going through. They will be present with me. My friend's presence, they're listening, they're guiding. Just like friendship, it offers us the gift of honesty. They're able to open me up. 
allowing me to be honest with who I am and what is truly going on. Whenever it comes to prayer, we need to realize that we can be really honest with God. We don't need to sort our stuff out before we can pray. Instead, we can pray exactly what is going on inside of us. Rolheiser goes on to say this. Simply put, if you go to pray and you're feeling angry, then pray anger. If you're sexually preoccupied, pray that preoccupation. If you're feeling murderous, then pray murder. And then also please hand yourself over to the police because that's a whole other thing. If you're feeling full of fervor and want to praise and thank God, then pray fervor. Every thought or feeling is a valid entry into prayer. What is important is that we pray what's inside of us and not what we think God would like to see inside of us. So good. If prayer is at its most basic, communicating and communing with God face-to-face like friends, then we need to pray exactly what's inside of us. We need to be honest in prayer. Intimacy always requires risk. The risk of allowing somebody to see me in my nakedness and my vulnerability as well as in my strength and in my beauty. That is what friendship is all about. And the more honest that we are with Jesus in prayer, the more intimate our relationship with him will become. Here's the thing. If we're not praying what is inside of us and we're feeling the pressure all of the time to force ourselves to a place where we get beyond our baggage and then from that place we can pray, we are missing out on one of the greatest promises of God, particularly one of the greatest promises for the anxiety-fueled age that we live in. Philippians 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Particularly, do not be anxious to force yourself to a place where you are perfect, to a place where you're whole, to a place where you're fully integrated, to a place whenever you're feeling on top of the world. Do not feel the anxiety to take yourself to that place. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, everything that you're feeling, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God, this is what I am going through. This is what is hurting me. This is my frustrations. This is my concerns. I need your help, God. Lord, would you help me? This is what is going on. As we begin to present our requests to God, honest requests to him, something begins to happen in our hearts. Verse 7 of Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we begin to pray in every situation that we face, not feeling as if it's up to us all of the time, we begin to see that God is really near, and in his presence there is always peace. And God moves in the sudden and in the slow, right? We know that from following him. There may not always be instantaneous resolution to that which we pray for. We may need to bring trusted friends in on the conversation with what is going on. But trust me, Christ will listen. He will guide you. He will lead you towards peace. And he will give you all that you need so that you can walk in step with his spirit. We need to learn to pray exactly what's inside of us. And quick side note. For those of us who are part of this community, for those of us who are part of this movement, or maybe just we're fans of Seattle grunge bands, we're really good at talking about and also modeling out come as you are. That's a Nirvana reference, by the way. Um, 
We're really good at modeling that out. That's at the heart of who we are as the vineyard. That is exactly the kind of community that we want to be. But here's the thing. We may be really good at talking about it. We may be like, actually excellent at modeling it out. But we're not very good at owning it for ourselves. We're great at displaying it to other people. Welcoming. Hey, come as you are. Come with your baggage. Come with your mess. But whenever it comes to us and our relationship with God, it just doesn't really seem to fit with us. We need to be the kind of people who live that way out for ourselves. Come as you are. Hear the call of Jesus, not just over the life of our city and our region, but also our lives too. Come as you are. Come in your mess. Come in your hurt. Come in your frustrations. Come and pray exactly what's inside of you. Second thing, it's really important whenever it comes to prayer that we find our own voice. Whenever I was 22, I moved into a house with six of my best friends, but there was a seventh room, and my best friend, Thomas, um, was hanging out in Vancouver for a bit, and he was spending just like one day, I think it was, with this guy from Australia called Joel, and pretty much after one day of hanging out, Thomas was like, hey, do you want to come and just live with us in Belfast? And Joel was like, sure, I'm going to come and just flew straight over. Joel um, is in one sense typical Aussie, just kind of stereotype of Aussie, right? But he's also Solomon Islander. He's pretty punk rock. He loves skating and loves surfing. He kind of is just, he's a force of nature. And whenever um, we met with Joel and we started to hang out and we started to live together, we were really intentional about praying together. Just as seven mates, just spending some time, just praying for each other, and it's really, really key. Um, one of the things that I've noticed as I follow Jesus is that it's kind of awkward at times to pray with those people who are closest to us, with our spouses, with our partners, with our best friends, because we are kind of just talking as friends, as people who are close to us, and then we feel as if we need to put on like our prayer voice. Have you noticed this? Like we're kind of normal flow of conversation, and then we're, okay, well, now we're praying, now we're in, and we've got to like pray slightly differently. Anybody else? Is that just me? Can I notice that before? Whenever we started praying with Joel, all of the six Northern Irish boys, we all kind of grew up in church and we kind of knew how we were to pray, which is kind of reverent, king of fear and trembling, holy. And so you kind of punctuate every other word with Lord or Father. That was kind of how we prayed. And then it came, the Joel's turn to pray. And I'm not going to put on an Aussie accent because my Aussie accent travels all across the world. But um, he started off by saying, hey man, I'd love to see you break through in this situation. I was like, man, like, what are you, you're you talking to God there. And then he'd be like, yeah, man, I'd just love to see if that would happen. At one stage, he said, hey, dude, whenever he was praying, and my brain just exploded. I was like, that's, I'm not sure you could do that. I, off the back of that dude incident, had to go and leave, actually. And then I had to muster up the energy to go and sort of, like, call Joel out. But... As I went back to him, I began to reflect, and I began to see that actually the problem was all with me and not with him. I loved how he communicated in prayer. He was exactly himself. There was no disparity between his conversation with me and his conversation with Jesus. He was talking with me as a friend, and he was talking to Jesus just like a friend. I loved that. It's really important for us to be able to own our own voice. As you begin to cultivate a life of prayer, it's really important to be yourself. Not feel a temptation to put on your prayer voice or to sound like somebody else. 
to see that how you're wired, your temperament, your conversational style, your imagination, your personality are all entry points into prayer. So important to find your own voice whenever it comes to prayer and stop pretending to be somebody else. And yet, it's also really important to hold that in detention with the reality that prayer is never one-dimensional. Prayer is rich. There's so many aspects to it, so much so that Richard Foster says that prayer requires a lifetime of adventure. While you begin to embrace your own voice, it's also really important for you not just to remain in that space the whole time, but see your conversational style with Jesus grow and develop and mature. Let me explain. Whenever you look at the prayer life of Jesus, our greatest guide into praying, you'll see him generally pray in two different kind of ways. On one hand, you will see him praying in retreat and in solitude, like Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It talks about him retreating early in the morning, finding a solitary place for him to be able to pray. He was able to be contemplative. He was able to be alone. He was able to be silent and still. And yet, at the same time, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 5 talks about Jesus crying out with fervent prayers. He would be the guy in the middle of the prayer room screaming out, contending for more of his own kingdom to be able to be made known on earth. Jesus balanced himself between these two things, the contemplative on one hand and the contending on the other. This is what a mature and rich life of prayer looks like, where you balance these things contemplative and contending. So let me explain again, slightly generally. Introverts, introverts, you love this space. You love the contemplative. And can I encourage you, continue to live in this way. Can I get an amen from the introverts or even just a whisper from them would be really good. Thanks, even a nod, thanks, would be, would be good. We, we lo- and this, this is me, I, like we love this space. We love the reflective. We love to be able to dig into liturgy and to be silent and to be still. We love centering prayer. We love all of that. This is where we love to be. And yet, as we grow in prayer, it's really important for us to realize that there's going to be times whenever we're going to have to walk towards people and call out healing in them, where we're going to have to lay hands on them, where we're going to have to scream a little bit in prayer, where we're going to have to get on our knees and call out for more of God's kingdom to come. That makes sense? Extroverts, you love it here. You love the shouting. You love the screaming. God bless you as you do it. Continue to do this. But can I also encourage you to begin to explore the contemplative Dig into the richness of silence and of solitude, of liturgy. Draw from the deep well of the contemplative because as you do both this and this, your prayers will only become more powerful. It's about balancing this. As you pray with Jesus like a friend, it's really important for you to be yourself. But as well as that, allow this relationship to grow and to develop. Third thing. As you get started in prayer, it's really helpful to build in set moments of time. Times whenever you take a moment, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's on the walk to work, whether it's setting an alarm to be able to interrupt yourself during the day, just to take a moment for you to be able to pause and to deliberately and to intentionally pray. Set moments are really, really important. It's really, really key. 
I'm learning this at the minute as somebody who's in my 30s. I'm in that weird place of being in between being young and being old. Um, That's what the 30s are, I think. That's kind of where I'm at. And whenever you're younger, you're able to be all about the spontaneous. You're able to enjoy time whenever you're like hanging out with your mates. But now I am beginning to realize that my iCal is my best friend. And I'm able to book in deliberate times with my friends. It's, I have to be really, really intentional about it. It's exactly the same with prayer. There are times whenever I need to be really, really intentional. But also, as we begin to do this, as we build in these rhythms, they carry us beyond our sense of tiredness beyond our distraction, and even beyond our indifference. These rhythms, they keep us praying even whenever we're too tired to pray. And as we prioritize set times of prayer, then we also get the opportunity to practice spontaneous prayer, or as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, praying without ceasing, to be able to live in this particular kind of way, where we get to see every single moment as a call to prayer. You've heard me speak about this before, about practicing the presence of God in every moment, recognizing that there is no space in which you cannot pray, where we can pray in the most everyday of circumstances, where we can have a conversation with God really, really naturally, where we're able to walk and talk with him. And as we practice this conversational style, the best place to start is always by giving thanks to God in everything by saying thank you, by being grateful, even in the smallest of things, so that we can be grateful in the big things also. Being thankful for food in our tables, for that person who we spent time with, being thankful for this community, thankful for the relationships that we're in. And as we begin to pray about the small things in gratitude, our relationship with Jesus in intimacy will grow and grow and grow. So, how can we cultivate this lifestyle of prayer? speaking to God face-to-face like a friend. We can pray what's inside of us. We can find our voice and own it. And we can also build into the rhythm of our lives, set times, and also spontaneity. But the fourth thing that I want to talk about, and this is where I'm going to land, we need to be the kind of people who pray really bold prayers. St. John of the Cross described friendship as boldness with each other. I've spoken about this um, a few months back. I've got a small pack of people in my lives um, in Celtic spirituality. They're called Anamkara or soul friends. People who know exactly what is going on with me. People that I have shared everything with. They know exactly what is going on. But in true friendship, it is always a two-way street. How awful would it be if I just let everything out to one of my friends? told them everything that was going on in my heart and in my life, and then then came back to me, and then they began to share everything, and I was like, cool, and then just walked away. That would be awful, right? That wouldn't be true friendship. As a friend shares their heart, shares what's breaking in their heart, what's exciting their heart, as I listen, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to respond to what I've heard, and I'm going to respond in boldness. As we develop this familiar friendship with Jesus, communicating with him, enjoying his presence, very quickly we'll begin to see that actually God will begin to reveal his heart to us. He'll begin to share his dreams, his longings, his intentions, his good future for people and places and circumstances around us. 
as we reveal the intimacies of our heart, so too will he reveal the intricacies of his own. He'll begin to speak to us through the scriptures that we talked about last week. He'll begin to speak to us through the prophetic, through words of knowledge, through visions and dreams. He'll begin to speak to us through other people, through conversation, through our emotions, through our gut. He'll begin to speak to us. And as we hear the voice of God, as we hear his heart, we can't passively just let him walk by. We are co-workers with God. We are co-laborers with him. We are co-creators in seeing his kingdom established on earth. Andy so brilliantly put it like this last week. The point of Christianity is that we would surrender our entire lives to the rule and reign of Jesus so that we would learn to demonstrate that same rule and reign in our lives and in our communities for the flourishing of everyone. Here's the deal. We are working with God to determine the shape of things to come for people, for places, and for situations around us. And so as we hear the voice of God, hear his heart, we move towards that in boldness. We respond in boldness. And we do that through prayer. We are to hear the heart of God. And we are to get on our knees and cry out for his dreams and for his longings and for his intention, for his good future to come into being right now around us. We are to see a change in the world through our prayers. Of course, of course, you know this in this community. We are to put flesh and bones on our prayers. We are to do the work of the kingdom, but we are missing out on the power of the kingdom if we don't prioritize prayer. Prayer is not pithy. Prayer is not a one-liner that we say on our work to do the kingdom. Prayer is the work of the kingdom. Time and time again, the arc of human stories and the arc of human history has been altered through the bending of the church's knee in prayer. If you track the origins of change in culture, whenever God has showed up in miraculous ways, it always traces back to a small group of people who knew intimacy of relationship with Jesus and who cried out for his kingdom to come in more measure, contending for more of his kingdom. John Wesley, who knew a little something about that, has this line that I've just been thinking and processing about all week. And as I say this very simple line, I want you to feel two things. I want you to feel the excitement of opportunity of what you're invited into, but I also want you to feel the weight of responsibility too. Wesley, the great revivalist, said this, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to the prayers that we pray. Our prayers are powerful. They are powerful. Through our prayers, we get to contend for what is going on in our city and for our region. We get to cry out for more of God's kingdom to come. We get to cry out for the circumstances that are around us. We get to cry out for more healing and for more salvation, for change in industry, for the release of the provision of the kingdom. We get to cry out for that kind of stuff. If you're new to faith and you begin to hear some of us pray, you'll notice that we'll say three words quite often. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
Not only are we praying the intentions and the dreams and the longings of Jesus into places and situations, but actually we're doing it with the power of the resurrected king, the one who walked out of the grave, the one who defeated death, the one who called this entire earth into being through words. We're beginning to pray in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. Prayer is the point where our deepest desire and Christ's eagerness to be with us come together as one, where we get to have an ongoing, intimate relationship with him. And so church, may I invite you once again into the adventure of prayer, because nothing, absolutely nothing, draws us closer to the heart of God quite like it. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to respond this morning. And we're going to respond by praying. You kind of saw that one coming, right? We're going to take some time to pray. As we begin to respond, let's just take a moment. Just that You may want to close your eyes. You may want to hold out your hands. You may want to hold your heart. Let's just be still for a moment. Introverts are going to love it. And before we pray together, I just want to create just a short moment. Um, some of you who this is maybe a very new experience for you, maybe you're not used to church, have come in here. And you came in with the impression that whenever it came to church and to following Jesus, that actually you needed to get all of your stuff sorted first before you could begin to engage with him. And your head's kind of tilted a little bit as you began to hear this morning, actually, Jesus really wants to meet with me. And I just want to create just a moment for you to respond this morning that actually, if you're really eager to meet with him also, to give your life over to him, to give your yes to following Jesus, and to respond to that to see the deepest desire that you have fulfilled by being in relationship with him. If that is anyone today, do you want to just raise your hand? I'm just going to leave it for just a moment. All right, cool. We are going to respond by praying. My sense this week as I've prepared, as I've thought about this, as I've prayed about this morning, is that many of us are hungering and we are thirsting for more of God. One thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I am seeking. It is you, Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn this place into a tent of meeting for a few moments. Is that all right? We're going to pray. And here's what I'd love us to do. If you are feeling this hunger and desire for more of Jesus in your life and you long for your prayer life to come alive, I'm going to invite you to practice it just to start praying. And here's what we do. There's some space at the front. There's some space in the aisles. I'm going to invite you to just drop down on your knees if you're able to do so and to begin in the next couple of moments to pray to cry out for situations, for people and for circumstances that you find yourself in, to cry out for more of God's kingdom to come.
So I'm going to be doing that too, by the way. I'm going to be down here. So if you're wanting to experience the intimate presence of Jesus and to see your prayer life just become more alive, can I invite you to come even just now and just begin to fill up the space and on your knees if you're able to and just begin to pray. Just come on forward. You can get into the aisles if that's helpful if you don't want to come to the front, but just find space. It's really important whenever it comes to prayer that actually we engage our whole bodies in prayer, not just our words, not just our minds, but actually respond in a posture of prayer. If you are at the back, if you're standing, and you may want to be praying for other people, there may be people in the room that you would just love to very boldly go and pray with. So can I encourage you to also feel free to do that if that is helpful. But I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead you guys. Just continue just to pray. We'll sing. Lord Jesus, we long and we thirst for so much more of you. We desire so much more of you. And we long to experience intimacy through our conversations, through our hearing of you and through our silences. Lord, would you come and meet us in these moments. And Lord, as we practice this, as we lean into this, as we maybe stretch this muscle that feels a little bit awkward, maybe a bit flimsy, maybe it hasn't been used in a while, I pray, Lord, that you would hear our prayers of contending. And Lord, that your kingdom would come through our prayers, that situations and circumstances would be radically transformed because we're lifting our voices to you. So as you're on your knees now, as you're standing, can I just encourage you, just begin to lift up your prayers to God, to cry out for things, to be bold in your faith, to see change happen, if you're able to pray in tongues, please feel free to do that. Just begin to lift up your voice. Introverts, that may mean you may need to be a little bit louder than you're used to. Feel free to do that. Begin to lift up your voice in prayer. For those of you who are longing and contending for more, um, my encouragement for you is just do what we did over and over and over again did it for five minutes this morning, do it for five minutes tomorrow morning, and the day after that, and the day after that, and as you begin to exercise this muscle of contending prayer, of longing for God to come in more of his fullness, you will see your intimacy with him grow, and you will see the power of your prayers begin to exceed all of your wildest expectations. May each of you be blessed this morning as you leave this place as you enter into homes and in communities across this city and this region, may you carry the culture of the kingdom, the expectations and the longings of the king. May you see lives transformed, people healed, industries renewed this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we can pray for you at all, please come forward. And we'd love to do that. We are done. Thank you so much. Have an amazing Sunday. Grace, peace. See you soon.